0: All right. Consistent self-improvement, everybody. You are now listening to American Gypsy Podcast. I am Classic Carpenter, and I am here with my co-host. Gypsy. And we also have...
1: Mercedes.
0: And we have a special guest with us today. Go ahead and introduce yourself.
2: Brian Assange. I'm a author, author, um, advisor, and, and investor. And uh, a little bit of background, originally from Uganda. Uh, I've been in the U.S. since I was 18. Um, and uh, used to work at the New York Stock Exchange for about two and a half years, right out of college. Uh, currently, mostly focused on uh, uh, entrepreneurship, business development, with a focus on Africa or emerging markets, uh, as well as really uh, starting to invest in like uh, uh, cryptocurrency and other emerging technologies. So, yeah, looking forward to having a wonderful conversation with all of you
0: it's a pleasure having you with us today Welcome. Great having you. thank you so
3: so tell us a little bit about your book I know it's called cashless society and before we get started like what does that mean exactly in cashless
2: sure um, so cashless society for me has two meanings and I I did kind of test it out with different people um, for me it's it's the idea um, which is uh, everybody, uh, at least it's been around since the sixties of, of having a society that now prioritizes electronic transactions or digital transactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, uh, during COVID, for example, uh, contactless payments went up 30%, uh, a lot more businesses are now accepting credit cards, uh, New York city alone, uh, you can now pay with your debit card or your phone when you're riding a subway or train station, um, so we're seeing more and more uh, normalisation of of electronic transactions, and this extends beyond money. Uh, you know, I think sometimes the title is limited to just money, or people still say, "Well, I still like cash in my pocket." But it also refers to electronic medical records. It refers to when you're hailing your Uber for transportation mm-hmm. via an app, or you're ordering your groceries, or you're doing maybe uh, self check-in uh, for an airline, maybe using your uh, uh, sort of digital identity, which a lot of states are beginning to to sort of enable some of that, right? Electronic signatures. So electronic transactions being the priority as opposed to like a cash-based, paper-based um, uh, alternative is really what the cashless society refers to. Uh, what it is often confused by and what it's not, it does not mean... Um, you know, there is zero existence of cash. I think it will take a long time for people to stop using paper currency. Uh, it just, I, from my perspective or from the book's perspective, it just means a preference, uh, a prioritization of electronic transactions first, even though cash and other paper-based uh, transactions are still in circulation. So where that becomes the preferred mode or, or the or the frequently used. Uh, mode of of transacting, then that would be a cashless society. So I would argue that the U.S. right now and most of Europe and even most of Africa with the Mupesa and and all this mobile money uh, being passed around has some version of of the cashless society. Um, And the the second definition, uh, which is somewhat personal, uh, is the ethical one. It's more of a philosophical one. Uh, So cashless for me then means... um, treating things fundamentally or or things, transactions, exchanges by the inherent value they have not necessarily tying them to the paper currency that we are used to, Mm -hmm. you know? So I know money makes the world go round or or money, you know, drives things. But if you look at Africa, for example, uh, they do have resources. And, And so before even a foreigner can value those resources, you know, Africans themselves have to value them. So the, the argument is really that the, the cash that you receive for a service, for a good or for an exchange should not necessarily be the ultimate ceiling of the value of that exchange or transaction, because there's some value that may not be captured by that cash transaction. And so it, it becomes more of a philosophical, symbolic kind of discussion to say, What if we just try to find other ways to do things uh, that don't involve cash exchanges? The COVID vaccine is one example of that. And I do dig a little deeper into that in the book where, for example, I think to date nobody has paid for the vaccine, whether you're in a rich country, poor country and even poor countries are getting vaccines uh, in some kind of donation kind of exchange. Maybe for democracy negotiations, maybe for other kind of sanction lifting kind of uh, discussion. But there's been a very minimal sort of exchange of cash uh, for these vaccines. Uh, and mainly because people understand that, you know, we're talking about human life. It's a life and death situation. So maybe not everything needs to boil down to how much can you afford to stay alive? Uh, so I think that's where the philosophical argument could come in to say um, maybe not everything has to always be about cash. Uh, like maybe there's other ways to to, to uh, negotiate, to to have uh, mediations, uh, to still have a society interacting and exchanging ideas and 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 services, uh, but without solely relying on cash.
3: And where does so that's the higher level? Um, is cryptocurrency helpful for that, or does?
2: Absolutely. I, I think cri- cryptocurrency in particular uh, meets the two use cases of, of uh, both as a method of exchange, right? If you think, uh, uh, I think the, the stablecoins and, and um, uh, other sort of, uh, I would say more the Ethereum, less Bitcoin um, uh, emerging cryptocurrencies that are really trying to make it easier to facilitate transactions, mm-hmm. uh, faster transactions. Uh, easily proven, uh, so we can say more, even though it's trustless in, in, in that you may not necessarily know the counterparty, but you can trust that your transaction will go through. Unlike a bank that may take five days to even verify whether or not you, the, the counterparty received a transaction. So I think in serving the, 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 the core need of electronic transactions, uh, cryptocurrency by far exceeds that expectation. And delivers on that value, which is why despite um, resistance, uh, we're seeing more and more uh, sort of blockchain slash crypto uh, transactions being normalized. A lot of governments are getting in on it. Uh, I think the Biden administration just passed new rules that any digital payment provider from the PayPal or the Square, which, by the way, have their own plans to fully embrace crypto, if they haven't already, I think Square already allows crypto trading in a way, um, that any amount over $600 now has to be reported to the IRS uh, Mm -hmm. because they can kind of see this coming as as, as a normalization. So I think, yes, crypto does play a role into that. Uh, But also the other value beyond transaction or exchange is the storage component, uh, which is more where Bitcoin might lie, where you can use it to store value over a long period of time, more of a savings investment kind of vehicle. Uh, and again, there it is. It's it's you're not dealing in cash. There's no cash switching hands, but it becomes a representation, an electronic representation of that value. Um, you know, the value could be a real estate property, could be, we're seeing a lot of data supplying to digital art. Um, but you could say, hey, here's a piece of land I have that's worth X amount. Can we have this electronic agreement that I can then, whether it's a deed or some other asset that I can transfer to you digitally, um, and that can be done over a blockchain? Or, and again, I'm not all; it doesn't all have to be blockchain or crypto. You know, some things we can still do with the old internet, um, but I think blockchain and crypto has more of a forward-looking uh, permanence to it. Uh, because of the irreversibility of the transactions. Like once they're done, they're recorded. And so it's hard to change um, or, or cheat, which which becomes important for societies like Africa where cor- corruption uh, or, or just record keeping is still paper-based and easily, um, easy to change or manipulate. Uh, that I think for me, that can offer more transparency long-term if people embrace a culture of of just permanent electronic record keeping. Uh, that's more accessible to to auditing and other other factors.
1: Um, hey Brian, I just wanted to circle back a little bit to what you were uh-huh. talking about uh, related to the COVID nineteen shot, and um, look sure. at. I know you talk a lot about ethics. You've written about that, and you shared the story of what happened with your parents. And um, when I look at ethics related to how the shot is dispersed across the world. You were talking about it being given out as a donation, but within there, there Mm -hmm. are a lot of corporations and governments that are still making money from that. And um, I was just reading an article about how much money CVS and Walgreens alone made um, up to the millions because they were dispersing the shot or dispensing the shot within these pharmacies. And so I wonder what you think about the overlap between Corporate, let's just say, greed, and "quote unquote" healthcare, and what that looks like here in the U.S.
2: Yeah, I think in the U.S., um, I've always been very critical of the U.S. It does not mean I don't like it, right. but one can criticize and still enjoy the privileges of of, of an environment. Um, I think there are certain areas like healthcare or one could argue agriculture, um, education, uh, maybe even democracy or or civic engagement, as we've seen in 2020, that should really be um, maybe a balance, like should be more open and transparent and not purely capitalist. So I think the U.S. has a a, a great tradition of, of, of licensing even... Uh, Services that would fundamentally or ideally be provided by a government, they would then subcontract to a private institution. A case in point is the prison system that has gotten out of hand. Um, uh, One could argue agriculture as well. They will subsidize and say, I'm not saying the government should be in the the farming business, but suddenly uh, a reliable source of food is critical to a society. So the government has to have a way to control or, or make sure that there is consistent production of food. Um, if we look at healthcare then, by extension, uh, the, the 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 purely capitalistic model, uh, from my point of view, isn't really working for the U.S. and for the world, for that matter. Um, let's look at the U.S., for example, and then I'll extend why it doesn't even work for the world. Because what fails in the U.S. actually has... Even broader negative implications for the world. Um, it doesn't work in the U.S. because of a lack of access or inclusion, whatever we might call it. Equal distribution—you talked about it. Even when they were doing early testing, early trials, you had neighborhoods, uh, predominantly white uh, uh, communities, getting more access to vaccines than uh, you know uh, communities of color. And even if, even when they were pushing to put them. Uh, in in communities of color, you still had, you know, white people flocking from their own neighborhoods going to skip the lines in these communities. So I don't think that should be normalized. Um, I think something has to proactively be done about that because uh, equitable distribution of health, uh, food, education, and all these critical um, uh, services uh, should not be about the ability to pay um, because it, it actually weakens the the underlying structure of an economy. So if we look at uh let's use more of an international example, like Japan that has, I would say had done a good job in the sixties, seventies, eighties of really embracing capitalism in a way, in some, some, some shape or form, um, but I think they've reached the peak where they're now kind of struggling a lot because they have so social issues, mainly because um, they have a large aging population. The younger population isn't reproducing fast enough to maintain the, the population dynamics they need to keep the economy productive. So to me, that's a cautionary tale of what happens if you just prioritize uh, sort of this economic profit over the other socioeconomic factors that are still relevant to a functioning society, that are still relevant to a, a, a democracy, but maybe don't have to be calculated uh, in, a, in a profit and loss kind of way. Um, so I think the, the, the broader implications for, for other emerging markets, including Africa, are that as we saw with the AIDS pandemic uh, in maybe the early 90s, The U.S. will, uh, U.S. slash Europe alliance, or you could call it a mafia because that's what it is, uh, are fundamentally acquiring intellectual property, you know, patents, trademarks related to these vaccines, and then punishing other economies. Uh, Madagascar, I mean, some countries in Africa, including Uganda, I write a little bit about that, that are actually trying to, India, that are actually trying to also innovate alternative vaccines. Um, And in the hopes that long term, they can monopolize that market of COVID vaccines as they did with the AIDS vaccines. So that's a purely capitalist way of looking at it, of saying only the U.S. should be eating, even if it means millions of other people are going to die. And I don't think that's er ethical or moral at all in a time where there's moral leadership needed in the world. So I think the US has failed uh, tremendously in that, you know, in that endeavor. They they perhaps should have learned from the AIDS mistake and, and tried to deal with this crisis differently. But needless to say, nothing has changed. So the opportunities really rely, rely on, uh, you know, countries like China, um, Russia, um, India, uh, and 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 again, the continent of Africa continuing to push uh, to have more of an ownership stake stake in these areas. So uh, again, I, I appreciate the question, but I think you know it it's not just America's responsibility, but I think other countries can also do a better job of of trying to support their own innovators, their own industries, so they're not always reliant on a a purely capitalistic way of dealing with social issues because that doesn't often benefit everybody you know capitalism is structured so that when you win actually most of the time somebody else is losing yeah mm-hmm. somebody so has it's, to it's lose. not it, it, yeah somebody you know well, it, the stock win, market but... is like a, a casino if somebody wins you buy if you're buying low and you're selling high you, you're kind of giving somebody a bad deal a bad bargain somewhere um, and and so I I don't think that ma- mindset can extend to a, a broader social need like like healthcare or education um, that really not everybody can bid on and auction and 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 sort of access uh, at a very high price.
0: So let's say in a cashless society, how would you? Mm-hmm. Who would be the person to set what your value is or what it is you're trading with no cash or who you know? How would you? set the standard of you know a value of something and sure. how do you avoid that type of situation from somebody taking advantage of you needing something and they're telling you what you have it's not cash but it's 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 not worth much to them it's worth more to you so it makes the trade yeah. uneven how
2: do you avoid so, that's for me yeah, there's four main themes that I push or ideas that I push in the book, and I'll quickly summarize them and then answer your question. Um, one of them was identity, which is this idea that fundamentally cultural relevance or culture or, or local, you know, local context will increasingly be more important in all these exchanges and transactions. So what works in the U.S. won't necessarily work in India or won't work in, in Africa and vice versa, right? So if you ignore that, that will continue to cause friction. The second idea is ownership, and we kind of just looked at that around who owns the rights to a a vaccine, who owns the right to a pipeline or research, you can call it, who owns the definition of democracy, right? China claims it has its version of democracy. America claims it's the only one that, that knows how to do democracy well, right? So ownership of an idea or even a concept or a value becomes increasingly important and, and i would argue that by default everybody has a sense of ownership of something you own your ideas by default you don't, I don't have know. to we live in la escape.
0: we see a lot of people that don't own anything <laughs> <laughs> so even to visualize them in a cashless society
2: right but uh, but so let's get there then let me explain the other two ideas and then i'll bring it all together uh, trust is going to be a, a, an important concept, and we're already looking at it. I, I think that was really the source of the question. How do I trust that the other person is valuing my asset, my idea, my service right. the right way or the way that I see it? Uh, and then scale. And, and that's fundamentally related to can you meet the broader needs of a society if your idea is great? And uh, can it be sustainably distributed or available? right? So a vaccine may be great today, but maybe we realize it costs tons and tons of money as we're actually, the Biden administration is already being advised. We can't have booster shots every six, six months. It may turn out to be too expensive to, to, to sustain, right? So scale or the, the how big is that access going to be? You know, money and technology and logistics, that's being an issue. Um, and that has to also be considered. So how do we make sure that we normalize this this ethical definition of a cashless society, maybe not necessarily the transactional one. Um, I think technologies like blockchain actually enable for that. So if we look at the concept of tokenizing an idea, which is this fractional ownership as a concept, because I did start with the ownership concept. So imagine a research, we can look at Stanford since you're on the West uh, West Coast. Uh, let's, Let's bring it home there. Uh, We can look at Stanford University, huge history of of launching uh, great businesses, uh, a lot of innovations being commercialized. Traditionally in the U.S. uh, and perhaps most of Europe, any research performed within a university environment or as a result of university resources is owned by the university. And this was the case with the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine. That's why it kind of didn't really make it, quickly into market because they were still discussing and debating how to commercialize it because uh, the university still you know wanted control or the more it saw how how profitable it was going to be right mm, okay. so fractional ownership kind of solves that that ownership question where you could say you know in the past it was always a challenge because number one lack of financial literacy right not everybody understands stocks and shares and and the way you can divide an asset into multiple shares becomes too complicated and the tax implications of maintaining it. But we now have a technology to say, wait a minute, it doesn't matter, this thing can start at maybe its value is zero, tomorrow its value is one, tomorrow its value will be ten, but we can split it into a hundred, one thousand pieces and each of us could own a fraction of it. So you can now, if you're familiar with cryptocurrency trading, you can now buy a fraction of a share. And, and I think Square and Robinhood Hood are already, you know, yeah. normalizing this concept. So you can extend that to other things, music, yeah, um, like NFTs. the idea, yeah. NFTs. You, you talked about uh, maybe in LA, somebody just shot a film. Okay, we, we were a crew of 60 people. We put on this film production. Maybe we each own one out of 60 of it. Because at the point of producing it's zero, but the moment somebody else wants to buy it, right? We can decide and agree through a smart contract or some other tokenization framework to say, "Hey, we will always own equal percentages or whatever ratio we decide." But you can now lock it in without having a large accounting firm, without having, you know, the biggest law firm in the world to defend you, and actually guarantee. Well, I wouldn't say 100%, but maybe 99.99%. That anytime the check comes in, the royalty or the benefit from that ownership or, or fractional ownership actually can hit your digital wallet in near real time. So we're not even waiting 10 days for that to be processed. Anytime somebody plays, buys, downloads, uh, buys the prescription, right? I'm actually advising a company. Um, I suppose I could share because heck, they're raising money. So they might use the exposure. Um, I'm advising a company in Mexico that wants to become the, the airline miles for hospitals, right? You know how when you're traveling, you can build up these airline miles and then you can mm-hmm. redeem them and right. get a free, free flight at some point. So what if we did that for healthcare? You know, the healthier you are, the more you take your medications, maybe you're earning these points. And then you can use them uh, to redeem them, you know, through pharmaceuticals and other kind of brands and actually get equitable access to health uh, just by the very nature of you becoming a healthy participant in a society. Uh, so I think they can be other innovative ways where you can uh, create value, uh, own value, but more importantly, share it. Right. Um, I'll end on this quick example. If you look at the, the example I use in the book is from Chobani, the yogurt company. Uh, founded by an immigrant, a uh, Greek immigrant, um, and he decided early on that he's in, he was going to make I think it was uh I would say 2006, he was going to make his employees part owners in the company. So he started by uh, he didn't give them cash, he gave them part of the shares in yeah. the company. Yeah. so and that's that's a new concept to traditional capitalism. Uh, but I think with the modern capitalism and where we're going, fractional ownership, where employees could be owners in a company, or, or maybe this podcast blows up and now you have ten other people helping out. Like, how do you have them share into the success of that? You can set that out outright and build that trust through a tokenized or, or shared ownership kind of framework, so that it's it's not even a, a you know a source of conflict anymore. Uh, and and then people can focus on creating and building value, which, uh, which to me is often like, often we put the cart before the horse. Like we're so caught up in arguing on who's the boss, who owns what and what percentage. We don't have time to actually build. Uh, I've seen a lot of partnerships in Africa. Like I've tried to partner with people in Africa and and you know, everybody wants cash because yeah. they can't trust you to, to pay them tomorrow. And I don't blame them. I don't even trust my own bank You you can't trust them to come back
0: after you pay cash.
2: Yeah. You have to pay cash now. But if you're always dealing in cash, the problem with cash is, you know, cash is actually worthless in the future. That's why, like, they always adjust all these inflation rates. The federal government exists to make sure cash is still relevant in the future, right? Because if you just leave cash, the value of a dollar today doesn't necessarily have to be the same 10 years from now unless the federal government keeps doing its thing and makes sure that people can still trust in that paper currency. So so cash itself is useless. It's the trust you place in it that gives it value, which really means you can also trust crypto. You can also trust fractional ownership. And with that trust that you place in it, all you need is like a technology system that helps you then maintain or enforce that, that trust system you've created. And so I think that that extending that to areas of business, extending that to education maybe through these digital certificates and all these things, that you can start to see a, a little bit more access, actually, beyond the, the the OPEC. Often, sometimes we can't even see what's happening behind, behind the closed doors or behind the office when everything is cash, when everything is paper-based, right? A university will charge you $100, to get a copy of your transcript when you already graduated? What if you could just digitize it and then it's just a digital copy? Actually, accessing a digital copy, the cost is near $0. I mean, maybe one cent per access because you're still sending some files. But digitizing often cuts the cost by 80%. So, So the argument for digitization or fractional ownership and all these things isn't necessarily to say we do away with cash. It's to say when things are big, when things are costly, it's easier to do when we digitize or, or, or we implement some of these technologies. Hence, I think that's the business case for electronic transactions.
3: How do you increase trust? Because right now, even when you're saying right now, not too many people trust a blockchain and it- because they don't know who created uh, a certain token or currency and
0: uh, in this
3: way, like how do you increase trust in that? Like would there have to be a regulatory system of some sort for for that?
2: Um, Yeah, I did actually address that in a question. I think when one of my editors, when I was writing asked uh, do you envision like there, you know, is government relevant in a cashless society? Mm-hmm. Well, I think G- G- if you're a Christian or you 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 believe more in the Bible, Jesus answered that already. Give unto Caesars what is Caesars. So I don't think I want to advocate for people not paying taxes or or trying to do some. I think there will always be regulation. Mm-hmm. But based on my background from, from Wall Street, I do know that regulation. Uh, self-regulation or other kinds of regulation are also options. You know, Wall Street is not as regulated as people think. Like, you know, the banks, the stock exchanges, they actually uh, decide what they want to do. And then they will do it and maybe occasionally they will tell the government what it is they're doing. It's not like the government knows every little thing they do. Well, sometimes they do because they can request access. But, My point is that trust, you know, cannot be generalized. Trust is often between two parties, two or more parties. So we have to also redefine trust. Trust in what context? Is it transactional trust? I think that is being fixed or resolved by blockchain very easily. Um, But you did mention that people do not trust blockchain. I think that it will eventually fade away. I don't, I'm an early adopter. Like, I missed the 2013 uh, thing. I don't want to be left behind anymore, so I'm riding the momentum this time. But I, I think as human beings, we, you know, fear is normal. I'm not saying we blindly you know, download the latest app. Or there's, there's a lot of scam there. There's a lot of uh, cybersecurity challenges, data privacy issues, of putting all your information online. Those things will always be there. But we have to first go back to the fundamentals, and this is a big idea I also share in the book, that technology is not the problem, right? Technology is neutral. Human beings create technology. Human beings say, we want a computer that sends me money within two seconds. Then we build it. It's Okay, in the future, maybe machines will also think of their own things and build them. But for now, we still have an element of control. Not a lot, but we are the ones creating these technologies. So when you say, how can we increase trust? I think we have to first increase trust between among each other as human beings before we even bring technology into the conversation. And right now, that's a big, big problem because of politics. Um, That's a big, big problem because of the geopolitics of of technology and innovation. Today, we have a divided Internet. China wants one version of it. The U.S. wants another version. And we're forced to choose between the two as if those are the only options, right? So I think the beauty of blockchain, um, actually, or decentralized kind of service delivery, it actually becomes the only thing that makes sense when we're all being forced to choose, you know, I would say the lesser of two evils. Um, It doesn't have to be a U.S. dominated Internet. It doesn't have to be a Chinese dominated Internet. It just has to be an Internet that works for you. If you just want to send your neighbor five dollars. What does it matter that you have to be overly dependent on China? or, Or America for that matter. So I think that's the beauty or promise of of some of the decentralized internet futures, decentralized banking. It does not mean like all banking should be outside of of government regulation, uh, but it just means that the old way of doing things, where you maybe have to send everything through U.S. servers or everything through Chinese servers, that maybe that shouldn't be the norm. If you just want to swap eggs with your neighbor, <laughs> you just go knock on their on your on their door and you, and you pass the eggs, right? So. So I think that the the trust component, we can resolve that as a society amongst ourselves. And then those rules that we create, those social norms, uh, can then be implemented into machines to enforce them. But it's not the other way around. We are the ones programming these machines, and we have to be careful what we're telling them to do because, yeah, they only do the things we program them to do for now. So I I would say that it comes back to us and, uh, you know, saying, what do we want as a community? And if ownership is a big deal in the community, how do we start educating ourselves in school and in in our communities at home? Uh, The importance of ownership. You know, everybody wants to be on YouTube. Everybody wants to be on on TikTok. But not. Not anybody understands even how they make money on those platforms or who owns the content you upload on those platforms. Right. So, so, so I think, you know, if we go back to the fundamentals of the important issues of identity, ownership, trust, and scale, and like kind of push them, it starts home, right? Starting our own communities and our own churches and our own schools. I, I do think like long term, we can shift the mindset. Um, I made a pledge about five years ago, which is when I first wrote the first book on innovation in Africa. And, and, and now I just finished my second one on ethics, the casual society one saying, you know, I'm consuming all this video and I love film and media. And we, we did double media distribution for a while. Um, but I wanted to consume as much as I created. It was sort of a personal pledge I took of like, I'm enjoying all these stories. But a lot of these stories are from other cultures, by the way, or other countries. Mm. How can I create something that's uh, African-influenced, that's not always European-influenced or not always... I mean, American-influenced, it's hard to avoid that. But I'm saying, how do you draw into your originality, into your own creativity, into your own ideation, to also add value to society? So I do hope that, the, you know, for me, the books were one way of studying that. Uh obviously now I'm 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 expanding that to say, okay, now I want to w- work with other young people that are working on ideas or trying to change society to say, how can I support them in my limited capacity? So that's just how one person can, you know, it, it was very easy for me to realize that I'm not the smartest guy in the room. Uh there's other young people that have amazing ideas. So it's really not it, of benefit for me to keep pushing to tell them what to do but maybe the best way is to kind of share what i know and then wait to be asked how i can help or even ask how i can help them and i think that's kind of working well so far where i can like commit to you know three to ten companies a year and, and, and like really try to work with them either helping them raise money or or, or form strategic partnerships that that's becoming easier to do because I don't have to carry all the weight. But there's still an upside. Like maybe I'll get some equity in the company. Maybe, you know, when they raise money, they can pay me maybe. But it doesn't start with a cash kind of transaction initially of like, hey, uh, pay me this much money for me to help, right? So yeah. we can build these ecosystems that still have a level of trust. but But when we put in the work, then there's already a kind of framework for us to get paid or to be beneficiaries. Uh, and I think that's the easier model to do for the future. Cause I think, I feel like we have a lot of time on our hands. Uh, we just often get paid peanuts on a dollar to run around on treadmills when we could really be building, uh, you know, better things.
0: True. Especially if you're a musician on Spotify.
2: <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. and, and, and that's taken us 10 years uh, well more than 10 actually one could argue 10-15 years right because yeah. iTunes was you know iTunes was around I would say early 2000s 2006-2008 iTunes was already around so yeah I mean it takes about 10 years for us to know whether technology was good or bad um, but because we created these systems uh, I think we can always know, and um, let me throw this back at you guys. I know you're the ones supposed to ask questions, but let me let me ask this go uh, ahead. Yeah. to you. But part of the challenge or the question that I leave unresolved in the book is the concept of shared values. Like you know, are there three, five, ten values we as a society or people around the world, you know? you know, the the closest version we've gotten is the Declaration of Human Rights, but even that is a big discussion, right, depending on which country you're in. So how can we build machines that will be safe and protective of everybody if we can't even agree on what's important amongst each other? You know, if we can't even agree that everybody has a right to vote or everybody has a right to a vaccine to save their life, so you know somebody that asked about trust uh, that's my question to the world like can we ever even get to agree on the fundamentals um because it seems like we're getting more and more divided so I if think you we'll don't have start- both go ahead <laughs> go ahead
0: no i was just going to say i think we will probably have both you mm-hmm. know eventually they it won't stop you know us not being one won't necessarily stop them from creating but you also have you know your your um good engineers and your bad engineers you're going to have your good uh machines and you'll probably have your bad machines that are made by good people and you know made mm-hmm. by bad people so it'll probably eventually have to balance out that way it's be like who can make good machines faster than the bad you know the yeah. bad
2: machines Uh, Mercedes and (laughs) what do you you two think? Please share. Go ahead.
1: Um, I was just thinking back to what you said earlier, because I think it's really important that we look at the deficit that exists related to that moral leadership. And, um, you know, you're talking about Africa. I'm thinking about like Nelson Mandela or, you know, Desmond Tutu or so many other freedom fighters that come from that area that led with morality you know, and try to appeal to our basic human connection. And so for me, the way that we find that common ground or that balance that Kwame was talking about are through mm-hmm. certain principles like love, compassion, um, kindness, equity, um, but how do you program that? What's the what's the algorithm for that when you're talking about <laughs> yeah. computers and, you know, crypto and blockchain? Where is that digital certificate to learn how to program those fundamentals? Because that, to me, is the biggest divide around all these things that you're talking about that people don't agree on. And and what is our way forward? Because I don't see the investment in cultivating moral leadership i see the investment in cultivating dissension and hate and you know divisiveness and judgment i was Mm -hmm. um i was listening to this thing uh, another youtube um with bell hooks it was an interview and she was just talking about how people are so upset when you know folks who are living below the poverty line get subsidies. But no one is upset when large companies get bailouts. And so why wouldn't you be happy that someone is being helped that might not get food just to make it through the day? Or children, you know, who it's normally going to, children and families, why does that bother you, you know, when it's something as simple as this love principle? So I just really think that we're going to have to get back to those fundamentals and i don't know where that balance is when we're talking about this advance in technology
3: yeah that's that's tricky because ai is getting a lot bigger and even the technology so far is shown to be a little i guess off i don't know if i can call it racist but we're hearing about you know That's, social you media being racist or face recognition not recognizing certain things, and so when we're talking about that with with the technologies we have now, as we start to build AI, it's just like how do we know, how can we trust that? Like you said, we can't program love and certain things that is built into us into these technologies. So how do we? I think it has to be a collective. A collective effort um i don't know how you would do that uh i know in in the technology space and in the development software development it's like there's open source projects where a lot of these big uh languages that are being used by all of these companies they're actually open source and anybody can contribute to that so maybe something to where um I don't know. It's so hard to <laughs> so to figure I, I, out the solution yeah. for it. I just know it's something we do have to deal with before we start advancing some of these AIs into regular part of life. Because, I mean, that's what we're moving towards. Is a lot of these machines are taking over the warehouses and um, a lot of these places. So I don't know. Yeah.
2: No, I I think you all shared like uh, just a lot of insight that. I I personally just struggled writing about because <laughs> I didn't want to be all preachy, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, or or self righteous in any way, or or too critical of a society that's trying. Because uh, the the fundamental argument is we've come a long way, science has come a long way. Look at all these problems we've solved. And so, um, so it is to your question and 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 everybody. Thanks for sharing. I I do think that, you know. I try to end the book on two simple things, right? One is the, the, the value of agency or individual agency. Like you as an individual having, uh, having impact, you know, you matter, your ideas, yeah. even though you're alone and you're an individual, even if you're, you know, because for me, I set out writing this book to answer a question I've struggled with all my life. Like, is it worth doing the right thing? in a society that like, as you mentioned, incentivizes doing the wrong thing. Yeah.
0: Depends and, on how and, you sleep at night. So <laughs> 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 it just depends on how you sleep at night.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I think, I think for where much for now, I think it matters. Uh, and, and, and you did touch on it, uh, earlier by saying, hopefully there will be more and more, uh, good programmers, more and more ethical AI people or, you know, in cybersecurity, there's called ethical AI people that are ethical hackers, people that actually go hack systems so that they can find the problems and fix them. Yeah. Um, So you're right. They'll always be good and bad. We have to be careful. We have to keep fighting for a world where um, the Googles of the world don't transition from do no evil to evil is good. (laughs) (laughs) Because <laughs> yeah. that that's really where to we do are. What you got to do,
0: like, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. And 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 so I think that 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 the fundamentals you mentioned, are the concepts of love and and, and empathy and cooperation, um, it's it's maybe we need a an evolution. Because I'm not one for uh, the sort of radical transformation. I, I'm not an absolute moralist, saying I'm right, you're wrong, and you'll never be right, mm-hmm. right. So I do believe in sort of a progressive evolutionary culture evolves, societies evolve, Uh, we learn and grow, you know, we learn from our mistakes. So I hope that we can evolve to a point where um, maybe the sensational capitalism that we know today, which I will define as American capitalism or greed-based capitalism, isn't as, uh, as sexy as it's meant to be. Uh, and it will take us maybe another five years to get there, because all the jobs that were lost during COVID are now coming back. Ninety percent of them have been automated already. Mm. So as a society, it may take us time to understand these things, but when we wake up to the reality, hopefully we don't make the same mistakes of being uh, um, not of not caring. like if only we care a little bit and do what we can individually. And then, only then, because, you know, change starts from within. It starts from home, in our own communities, in our own schools. Uh, and only then can you create that kind of movement, that kind of network effect, to then uh, push for normalizing some of these uh, ethical values in other institutions. Uh, and so for institutions like governments and, and corporations, there is also value in shared collaboration. Uh, so this whole concept of individualism, of... Uh, I win, you lose, and there's no other way. Uh, it's just a joke, honestly.
0: Yeah, it's a programming.
2: It's a programming. So we, I, actually, that's a good answer to your first question. How do we program this? Well, you have to program it, either through social engineering, education, and, and, and leading by example, which is really, if you know how, uh, you know, I'm, I, I just got married, but um, I'm, I'm excited to maybe down the road, uh, get into this fatherhood thing but kids learn from what they see right so even in society whether we like it or not w- what we see on tv what we read uh the leaders we see on television which hasn't been great over the last few years uh, influence how we think um the challenge for africa and a lot of emerging markets uh, is you're right we have lost uh um there's been a gap or lag in the idealist kind of values driven uh, ethical leadership that used to be the the norm in the forties fifties and sixties but they've been all assassinated right there's been they've been coups sponsored mm-hmm. uh so we can we can't say it's not for lack of trying it's like the world actually prefers um uh maybe suffering or prefers, uh, you know, a one person winning and everybody starving kind of reality. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it doesn't have to always be that way. And so the struggle continues and, and we can all have a little impact in, in church in school in in whatever vocation we choose, you know, artists by far, you know, have, you know, the biggest job because they do influence the way we think and, and question, you know, institutions and reality so i do think that everybody can play their part uh, but it doesn't have to 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 be you know so bad to a point where you like feel like oh my god it's it's so much work because it is exhausting trying to 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 improve a community or trying to change even one little thing in your school so we you know if you believe in that individual agency that you as an individual can do something maybe you're 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 an executive, or you're a lawyer, or you, you're a politician, and you're ha- you have one chance to pass a law that could benefit more people. Do it, right? like we always have those opportunities here and there where you could have done the right thing, but you didn't. Um, so individually, when you start to do more and more things because you're 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 making decisions based on these values, um, that has a big impact. And then uh, for institutions, I think u.s based or otherwise they just have to embrace uh the benefits of collaboration you know uh, the some of those benefits go back to se- security and trust you know if we have a divided internet it means now i can't trust you know i have to ask wait which internet are you using are you using the u.s internet are you using the chinese internet mm-hmm. you know and and now we have five seconds of like but how do i know you gave me the right answer <laughs> Like maybe you just say the American because you know that's what you trust, but that's not really what you're using. And so I, I think trust, again, comes back to us as individuals. How are we raising our kids? Uh, are we raising them to, to mistrust each other? Are we, you know, so there's things that some programming we can do on a human level, on a social level, and the other programming happens in the technical world you know, through your degrees and, and jobs and, and government programming and, and, and technology. Uh, but a lot of, the 50% of the work, I think, um, the ethical work really um, is, is philosophical, is values driven, and, and it's pretty fundamental stuff that we can do in the family, in the homes, in our communities, um, which is why I, I, I kind of had those two definitions of a cashless society, so that the values are still part of that conversation uh, before we even get to the technology.
1: Well, I will say congratulations on your marriage. Um, You shared that, so that's pretty cool. Um, You're welcome. I wanted to go a little bit more because you were talking about fatherhood and how you're excited about that and just talk about young people, and I'm really talking about children more so than this Uh definition of young people people under 30. Um, Uh I know that some of the content in your book is aimed at millennials, but I'm wondering what you think is the space or the direction that can get, let's just say, a five-year-old involved in the idea of a cashless society.
2: Yeah, I think I think five-year-olds actually, uh, they say the first five years are the most important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I fundamentally believe that because when we started our company, actually, we... We started with this app we originally called it Dream Africa, now it's called Dream Galaxy. That's a mobile app for distributing like educational media, and we actually for the first five years were just focused on kids' content uh, or children's uh, sort of cartoons, short videos, and and and. Um, so I do think that for a five-year-old, they should um, ask themselves. You know, it's never too early to ask. I think I was very curious as a young kid. You know, I think as a five-year-old, the biggest advice I would give is it's okay to ask questions. And it's actually the only way. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to be comfortable asking questions. Mm -hmm. And don't accept, you know, every answer you get that isn't the truth. And so if you ask a question, you're likely to get more than one answer or answers from different people and the moment you can start accepting answers from different people that's already opening you up to different points of view so i think asking questions or curiosity uh, is a very very valuable trait to to reward and normalize and 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 uh, expose to young people to make it okay to question things uh, and not follow sort of an authoritarian kind of model which surprisingly, actually, coming to the U.S, I was shocked that it's, it's actually very authoritarian here, unlike what people think. Like, you know, critical thinking is at an ultimate law mm-hmm. in, uh, in America. And, and education isn't helping at all. Schools, you know, when I was in an English class, in college, I could be the only one with my hand up because nobody wanted to discuss anything.
0: And it's funny so, that that it, it is, you know, that that is when you with you saying um, that America, you know, when it comes to that, and in other countries, free thinking. when You're saying when it comes like to that, you basically can get assassinated if you talk, you know, with certain things. But people, you know, you say they don't do it here as much as other people do it in other countries, right? And you don't so, even really get quite penalized for it is bad Well, you can get
1: assassinated here too though well yeah true but (laughs) not not quite as
0: quick (laughs) Uh, you can say say a little (laughs) bit more about the presidents here publicly than you can a lot of other places
1: except when they assassinate the president because they did do that and his brother yeah yeah right you know yeah (laughs) Um,
0: that too for a good measure
1: (laughs) like and his his grandson But that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah.
2: Right. So, so I do, I do think that, you know, back to the five year old that maybe will be old enough to to understand these other deeper issues we just got into in a few seconds. (laughs) uh, That asking questions about these difficult conversations you just had about um, might be a good start and we ought to normalize that. Uh, The second thing would, you know, I might just, I like to think in threes, like, you know, asking questions. agency, again, they they should, they have, they can also make it the right decision. They have to be taught and, and you know, uh, supported in knowing that they too can impact change. They too can um, make a choice or a decision that's good for them. That's also good for a neighbor. That's good for a friend. Because uh, I think when we give away that agency, and especially when it comes to Africa and, and, and other emerging markets. Uh, and you look at this west fast or West West Western innovation or Western democracy kind of, uh, I call it propaganda because that's all it is, um, it, it's pure uh, nonsense. It, it just has no relevance culturally, historical to any uh, urgent needs or practical needs on the continent. So just because you take a smartphone, uh, Apple, I see a lot of Africans carrying around Apple computers Uh, going to Africa. And and I I just wonder, like, why? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: You know, where are you going to use that device? Uh, Chances are maybe it will get stolen (laughs) in a few weeks. (laughs) But it, it just, it's not practical. Like, when did technology evolve from being functional and helping us do social needs well to being this elitist kind of exclusionary thing that, you know, I only have it to show that I'm rich and I've made it. Mm -hmm. As opposed to I have a car so I can get to work. As opposed to I have a tractor so I can plow my land. So if we can get back to the fundamentals of technologies here to help us do the things we do, then we can back up and ask ourselves what it is that we want to do. Mm -hmm. So what does the five-year-old want to achieve? What kind of world does the five-year-old want to see?
1: I wanted to ask about because um, you're talking about self determination, you know, with this agency piece, and um, thinking about um, like Acon and Acoin, and I wanted if you would be willing to talk a little bit about that, your thoughts, and then also any other um, people that you think on the continent that are doing something that is allowing those young people to see that there are other options outside of what the U.S. is. Given them are even Europe, because I know there's a strong connection with Europe and Africa as well. Yeah. So what are your thoughts yeah. on that?
2: Yeah, well, I have the good thoughts and the bad thoughts, <laughs> as, as, as is with anything. I always try to give people the balance view. Um, I like, I, I've, obviously, I love Akon's music. Uh, good friend of mine in college was from Senegal, got really to know more about Dakar and Senegal and, 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 the, and the whole of uh, the West African region. Uh, I think ACON has done an amazing job bringing energy which is one of the important needs of the continent now uh, bringing solar power to communities it's hard to innovate without power you know yeah, a yeah. lot of po- politicians are missing that left and right power internet water healthcare come on we'll be the good the future yeah. <laughs> yeah give me those three four things we can start building scooters and get around and visit each other. You know, everything moves from that. Yeah. So, amazing job on, on the solar. When it comes to the crypto, I was actually an evangelist uh, for AirCoin. Um, so, I, I don't, I don't think I'm gonna be trash talking it, but I'm just speaking in relation to the concepts within my book. I think as an innovation, it's a great concept. Uh, my only limitation from it is primarily. To be blunt, white-owned, American-owned. So, had it been like an omupesa kind of African, pure African kind of idea and concept, hundred percent, I would be for it. You know, had it been an innovation that maybe the African Union was behind and is trying to push this Pan-Africa digital payments, great. And we might still see something like that soon. Hmm. But for now, and and for a coin and. I think it's still very uh, elitist. It's still very exclusionary, A-Coin City. Let's be honest. How many people are going to benefit from the A-Coin City? Um, so there's still fundamental problems, uh, and, and they're doing a great job of maybe launching these wallets and applications to support entrepreneurs. I think there's great value in that. But if you go back to the fundamental question of identity and ownership, who really owns the ecosystem? You know who's really pumping the money and 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 the licensing behind the technology. I don't think it's the Africans. I think Acon is the face of it, and that's okay. It's yeah. better than some of us that are not doing anything. I have nothing against that. But when are we going to start to seeing more Africans, more African Americans, more people putting their heads together and, and actually uh, supporting? There's a lot of young entrepreneurs building these platforms and ecosystems uh that could be funded uh as well to 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 launch computer. you know it doesn't have to be a a, a winner text all kind of thing. the continent is big we can still have a lot of uh different solutions um digital solutions solving that challenge uh and I think financial transactions is a big, big problem and a big, big market that's still unsolved uh on the continent. So I commend him for the work, but I think uh hopefully over time, uh, they can bring in more African partners, um, at least make it a 50-50 or 60, 60% ownership, uh, really being more Africans. Uh, then I can trust in it. Uh, you, don't, you don't see a lot of these problems, by the way, in China. I mean, China has made it clear. And in India, that those are the issues I also talk about in the book. Mm. Um, India will issue a 2% tax on a foreign company. Try, you, you cannot be a foreign company and fully own an Indian company. It doesn't work anymore. So Amazon has to pay Indian um, e-commerce stores to participate in, in, in India or Amazon has to pay Indian film producers to produce film in India because they can't just go in as a foreign conglomerate as is the case for most francophone or, or French company companies just moving into West Africa and, and sort of becoming the default state monopoly. Um, so there has to be you know whenever you don't talk about ownership some people will say well that's not important it doesn't matter if it's white or if it's american well for me it is maybe not to you but for me it will always be important i want to see who's on the board i want to see how many shares people have let's have a little transparency and rwanda is kind of leading that transparency part kenya has started to institute a requirement of at least two-thirds or 60 percent local ownership 40 percent. so we will get there but i okay. think the 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 momentum is shifting. And so as long as we keep our eyes on these four areas of identity, which has to do with the representations and cultural context, uh, both from a cultural point of view, but also language, um, you know, part of the argument I make in the book is I don't have to know English to benefit from a casualist society. I don't have to know French. In India, you don't, because now Google can translate everything in Hindi and, and you can like use the technology and 80 60 40 year old woman that doesn't know english can perfectly benefit from contactless payment they don't have to know english and so the the sometimes what i would call the american arrogance of of just building things that be, or, or european for that matter uh, building things that only work in english uh, that's a thing of the past you know millions of users are coming online that maybe don't know english but technology is going to speak to them in the language they understand. And that's a good thing. Uh, they can still learn English later, but that should not be the limitation for you to communicate with your mother who maybe doesn't speak English either. So I think if we can build or repurpose technology to serve social needs, there's a lot more progress than the sensationalism of a somewhat exclusionary innovation. So inclusion, inclusive innovation, uh, should be what's pushed and taught in school rather than this design system of uh, ex- exclusionary design, which is, eh, well, maybe scarcity-oriented or capitalistic-driven, uh, but you can still make money, ask Google, mm-hmm. from serving everybody. Like, yeah. you know, Google tries to to just, you know, care for as many people as it can, and and it's doing a good job. Uh, and there's another version, which is the Apple version of where we're just going to care for 4% of the world and charge them a lot of dollars. And I say for people that have that money, good for you. You've achieved the status, but that's not why I'm on this planet and, and I'm not really on the Apple. I think they make great devices, but I don't have the luxury of sort of being in the cult to to support their mission.
0: Yeah, understood. <laughs> It's been a great conversation so far. Um, I guess
3: before we we end it, tell us about uh, Dream, I think you said Dream Galaxy.
2: Dream Galaxy, yeah. So I would say Dream Galaxy, as I mentioned, has evolved from just being like a children's uh, entertainment platform. Originally, we wanted to kind of be like a Disney for Africa, but it takes a lot of money (laughs) to be in the uh, media business. So we're kind of pivoted to be on the educational side of things. Uh, distributing educational media. So for now, we uh, pitch Dream Galaxy as a a platform for culturally relevant educational media. And the tagline is, see yourself in educational media. Uh, So we hope that over time, uh, we can see uh, creators of different languages from all over the world submitting content. We currently work with the Association of African Universities. Uh, They're one of our content contributors. Uh, This is a network of over 500 higher learning institutions across Africa. Um, and so we're collaborating with a lot of people, young people that, that see the need to um, not just consume content that um, we can become co-participants or co-creators uh, in our own education, in our own entertainment. Uh, we don't always have to sell the stories to other people that then benefit from them and sell them back to us. Uh, so I think we we are still part of a young movement of people that are just trying to own distribution, own creation. And, uh, yeah, that's Dream Galaxy. And then, obviously, the brand, we're trying to expand it. Uh, you know, we now say we train, advise, and support um, um, ethical leaders to launch inclusive innovation. So the training will happen on the platform through educational media. Of course, the advisory happens through consulting and advisory. And then the support... Uh, we're now beginning to bring in other companies, other brands that are doing things that align with our mission and values. And we're launching an investment fund or vehicle alongside that uh, to start helping young people with ideas get access to capital. So those are just the three main areas uh, of training, advising, and maybe uh, getting people access to funding opportunities. So that's from Galaxy in, a, in an ad box. Okay. Okay. That's, cool. that's neat. Yeah, that's really neat. Thanks. So, any other questions and for my, us? <laughs> no, I, I suppose I could just quickly share my social Yeah, let them know where they can find. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. so my personal site, which is really where you can start and will lead you to all kinds of places. Uh, we're probably going to redesign it soon anyway. Uh, it's Brian Asinja, B-R-I-A-N-A-S-I-N-G-I-A.com, BrianAsinja.com. And the Instagram or social handle is at Brian Assinger, B-R-I-A-N-A-S-I-N-G-I-A. And always love to have questions. I do a lot of um, workshops, conference speaking. You can find the books on the website. Um, The Cashflow Society book is in pre-launch phase, uh, which is why I'm here and appreciate this opportunity. Uh, I'm hoping to launch it in the spring so that I can do some more actual in-person book signings. Because uh, the winter is just not great for me to to be traveling, um, but it'll be out in the spring. And if people wanted a early version, ebook version, they could just email me or shoot me a message, and I'll send them a link uh, to start uh, reading that or reviewing that. Um, I, I appreciate this opportunity. It's been an interesting conversation. I'll definitely we appreciate you. Love love love, love love to meet you in person someday or. or or maybe do a part two or, or some other yeah, way. We'd love yeah, we'd to, to have you in person. Time.
3: Definitely. If you're yeah. in LA, um, yeah. you can stop by the studio yeah. and do it in person.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank yeah. you so much.
3: And uh, for the listeners, we will have uh, all the links to everything he mentioned in the description. Um, and the video will be available on YouTube. Uh, we thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian, uh, glad to have you here. Thank you for coming.
0: Thank
2: and you. Um, thanks so much. Great to meet you. Thanks
0: everybody. Consistency, I everybody. Peace. And we, you know, like I said, my little put out. Classic, well no, not classic.com. AmericanGypsy dot um, G Y P C for those that are listening at American Gypsy Podcast on Instagram and also on Anchor.
3: And you can find information for uh consistent self improvement clothing on AmericanGypsy.com. dot com
0: um and luomle dot com
3: yeah it's luamli.com. but you can find all of the information at americangypsy dot com yeah All right. thank you for listening
0: thanks everyone now take care be safe have a good one peace peace peace, peace. Nice.